This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, the Orr! Bobby Orr! Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn dog! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 180 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue, who's back from vacation, and Scott McLaughlin, who is back from just having about six boxes of popcorn at the game tonight. Um, Scott, Bridget, the Bruins win their 58th game of the year tonight, and they clinched the President's Trophy with a 2-1 win over the Blue Jackets, and it was a pretty pretty spirited affair, actually. There was three fights, some, uh, some high hits, uh, and whatnot, so... Your thoughts on on tonight's win? Yeah, I thought they played down to the Blue Jackets a little bit. Um, you know, it certainly wasn't a dominant game. It wasn't exactly what you would expect from best team versus second worst. But I also never really, like, even when they're down one nothing, even when it was tied, I never really felt like they were in danger of losing. Like, it still felt like they were in enough control that you know, they're going to find a way to pull it out. Like had Columbus scored a late winner, I would have been like, huh? Well, that was pretty surprising. Like it just, it felt like eventually the Bruins were going to win and end up, end up taking till overtime. Um, but yeah, I mean, five on five, I think they're uh, uh, clearly the better team. Uh, you know, the fights I think did help get them going. Like it, game had been pretty flat before that. So, you know, Lauko goes first and has, you know, pretty good fight with Billy Sweezy, a, a local kid, um, you know, playing in front of friends and family. I noticed a uh, TV caught uh, his, his dad's reaction, like standing up and fist pumping with a beer in his hand, um, which is great. Just true Bostonian right there. And then, you know, like you say, you get the high hit on Bergeron, Frederick answers that with a with a one punch knockout of um you know poor Columbus who who is the Lane Peterson I just blanked yeah. on his name but yeah Lane Peterson who uh probably didn't want to drop the gloves there but you know kind of had to and was not up up for uh Trent Frederick um so yeah it 
you know, very far from the Bruins' best game, but did just enough. Like, I, I think that's how I would describe it. Is like, they did just enough to beat a team that they obviously should have beaten. Yeah, and I just think that the other storylines, like the dynamics of how the game went, was more interesting than, like, than just the score and just, um, you know, they're kind of meh play in other ways. Like, the fact that Trent Frederick was able to stick up for Bergeron and pick really pick the right spot to do it. Um, was, you know, one of those, one of the storylines, Lauco, I thought um, played an important role and he knows exactly what he has to do. I, I had tweeted that he only played two minutes, uh, two minutes and 22 seconds after two periods, but he already had a fight in three hits and he knows that, Hall is coming back. Felino is coming back. You know, Greer could come back into the lineup and he is fighting for a roster spot. And even when he spoke after the game, he laid out his case a few different times. It was like a thesis, like, okay, this is what I can bring. And I can play Bruins hockey in the playoffs was, you know, kind of paraphrasing what he said, but Basically, if you need a kind of guy like me and and the matchup makes sense where you need someone physical that can add energy, why not throw me in the mix? Uh, I thought he made a good case for himself despite getting fewer minutes because of all the special teams play that happened in the first. Um, And you just see him able to impact the game uh, in a way that other guys to that point had yet to do. Yeah, he has a he has a knack for getting under opponent's skin, which is not something that every player um, can do. Even even when players try to, it's not it's they're not always natural at it, and he seems to be that for them. And when when he got in this fight, Nick Foligno was in the booth with Jack Edwards and Andy Brickley, and I don't know if you guys caught this being at the game, but um, but Foligno was very happy when he saw the when when he saw Lauko drop the gloves and was he called him his nephew and. Um, and I think I think Lauko called him his uncle in the post game as yeah, well. So, I don't know. I yeah. don't know the dynamic well, of that story. But earlier this season, Lauko was the first one who revealed that younger guys were calling him Uncle Nick. So, and yeah. he might he may have even been the one who like originated that. But uh, yeah, so that that's gone back for a while. Yeah. So in any event, he was he, he went on to comment about how he just. Lago was very well liked in the room and, and how the guys have gravitated towards him. And considering the fact that he hasn't been an everyday player for them this year, I think that speaks a lot to what he's been like in the locker room. And it's interesting to hear because we heard Mark Diver talk about Lago last, was it last season or earlier this year, or maybe in the summertime, but he just kind of talked about how there was a little bit of a lot. Uh, he needed to add some maturity to his game, I think. And he had some bad injury luck as well in Providence, but I just think there was a lack of maturity and maybe we're starting to see see that um, he's gaining that maturity now, and he seems to really have he, he gained confidence in himself and in what he can do at the at the NHL level now. Yeah, I think last year was just extremely tough for him in, in general. Like, just nothing went right, and all kind of seemed to snowball on him. He, you know, before this season when he made the team out of camp, like he talked about how he basically lost all his confidence, like just didn't feel like himself last year. And um, 
really needed just like a total reset over the summer. He went home, trained differently. He talked to different people. Cause like at one point, you know, going home and like playing in Europe was on the table. Like things had gone so poorly last year. Um, and yeah, yeah, he kind of rededicated himself, decided, no, like this was still the path he wanted to be on. This was still where he wanted to be. And, you know, he even said like after tonight's game, when I was talking to him that, um, you know, like he, he almost had to kind of like accept what kind of player is going to be in the NHL or, or figure that out and like kind of talk through it. Whereas, you know, when he was younger, like so many guys who even get to the AHL level, like he was a scorer, he put up points, he scored goals. He was used to doing that. And now he finds himself in a situation where his path to the NHL is likely going to be as a fourth liner, as a grinder, as an energy guy, you know, not that he doesn't kill a ton of penalties now, but like that would have to be worked in. And, you know, a lot of young players kind of struggle with coming to terms with the idea that like, that might be my NHL role, you know, I might not score. I might not be a score at the NHL level and it doesn't mean he never will be, but for now it's like, that has to be how he breaks in. That has to be how he plays. And he's just really embraced it all year. Um, and now finds himself in a spot where even if he's not in the lineup regularly, it sounds like they're going to keep him around. Like he's going to be part of the NHL roster in the playoffs. You know, Montgomery said as much the other day he was asked, you know, do you see him, sticking around or could he go down to Providence and be part of their playoff run? And, you know, I don't think they've 100% decided yet, but Montgomery said, you know, we envision him as a Bruin and, and staying around. Yeah. I think that what he said in his answer about like his former roles was that like, I used to get 10 chances a night. So, you know, some of those are going to go in, whereas now he has, you know, much fewer chances uh, and so he's having to find ways to impact the game a little bit differently. I thought um, it, it's kind of crazy how every single player in the in the Bruins roster has kind of just stepped it up this season once they understood their role and accepted their role. And, and that was one of the things Felino said, as well as Montgomery after the game was was just how people bought into their roles this season where sometimes you see guys not accepting it and, and, you know, wanting to be a middle six center and not getting time there or like uh, just different guys hadn't found their homes last season. Really. If you think about back to like Eric Halla at times, Felino's role was, you know, not understood exactly. Um, yeah. There was just different situations last season that you, you didn't really see here. Uh, this season so far. And yeah, Felino said that one of the reasons why Montgomery has been a successful coach for them this year was because right from the beginning, he was very determined to make sure people understood what he expected from them. And that it just seems like they were able to buy into the way he wanted to look at things. So uh, jumping into the early stages of this game, guys, the, Tale as old as time. Lately, the the power play struggled in the first period, and if you're not going to score on a power play, make sure it doesn't lose your momentum. And um, in this situation, the Bruins had a couple of power plays to start the game. 
And after their second failed conversion, um, Columbus came down and scored, made it one nothing. Second period, uh, was it Lane Peterson, Scott? That's the kid's name, who high stick Bergeron. They, they, they call high sticks, you know, cross check in the face. I'm not going to sit here and say it was the most malicious thing I've ever seen. I, I mean, it, but it was definitely at the bare minimum a four minute penalty. Um, they call it a five, they review it, they reduce it to a two minute minor. I don't, it, Bergeron was bleeding. I think it's pretty objective that that's a four minute double minor well, in the NHL. And this and this is a really stupid thing that the NHL has to fix because you can't review a major and turn it into a four minute double minor. Like you can only either uphold the five minutes, reduce it to two, or wipe it out completely. I didn't know so that. A, that is stupid. Um, it, it's so dumb. Okay, that explains. Well, he's bleeding. Yeah. Well, that so that would make it four minutes. Like. That's just by rule. So that, but that explains why myself and probably every other Bruins fan watching was like, "Well, how do you go from a five to a two? So that mm-hmm. I didn't realize that. So that explains it. And that's not even the explanation that they gave Montgomery. They gave him the explanation that Bergeron's own stick was the stick that hit him in the ear. So like he got his stick cross-checked into his head. Yeah. Which, which by the way, Montgomery agreed with. He said that it actually was the right call. So he yeah. must have seen. He must have seen a good enough angle when he went back and looked at the replay. So, either well, either way, I think they they could have upheld it, and it it you know they they could have been right to do that as well. Especially um, if you look at what happened as a result of them not calling it a five minute major. Lane Peterson gets knocked out of the game because there's a certain level of justice that someone else has to seek, and it's Trent Frederick, and it's a. a brawl off the face-off like a a planned fight off the face-off so sometimes when you reduce stuff like that you run the risk of things getting policed on their own I mean maybe it would have happened anyway with Frederick but it kind of left him or the Bruins in general no choice besides to stick up for their captain and and kind of get him get uh Peterson in some other kind of way that's a great point for it to that. You see that you see that happen uh, on occasion in the NHL where, you know, refs get something wrong and and uh, they open the door for retribution and retaliation and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, they, if they if they were to uphold that original call, which nobody would have had a problem with, maybe outside of the the uh, the Columbus player in their bench, then yeah, then then you know maybe you can keep the game between the lines. But um, as it as it happens, they they reduce it to two. Well, and the Bruins, yep. Scott, you have something to say? Well, and and you start on the, yeah, you start on the Carlo hit too, where he gets hit from behind. There's no call, and Carlo gets up and tries to fight Boone Jenner, and that wasn't really much of a fight. But if there's an arm up for a pretty obvious hit from behind, then he doesn't have to do that. So I think the refs really had much control at all tonight. No, nah, they sucked tonight. They they were, <laughs> they, they, were, they were brutal. I mean, um, well, the wave off on the second what would have been Bertuzzi's second goal, um, that the explanation wasn't really super clear about. Um, now, I thought maybe he kicked it in. I, they never said they you know whether or not it was they thought the puck was dead or or what was going on with that. But 
Um, that's another goal called back for Bertuzzi. So that was kind of a little bit of a controversy as well. Well, the good news is he got a goal before that, his first goal, which was on that original power play we were talking about. So that unit was was McAvoy, Bertuzzi, Pasternak, Krejci, and Pablo Zaka. Now, I thought they looked pretty good guys for a lot of stretches that they've been together as a unit. I still think that entries were an issue at times for both units out there. But what did you guys make of of that unit and then the unit of Orloff, Lindholm, Marshan, Bergeron, and DeBrusque? Um, they, they're kind of they're kind of. Do you? F- I know they're trying to get the power play out of a funk. In doing so, do you feel like there's too many? moving parts personnel wise going into the last seven games of the season. It's kind of like, it kind of feels like training camp in a sense where they're trying all these different combinations, but don't look now, but like you got like seven games left before the playoffs start. So how do you feel about all this right now? Yeah. I feel like this was kind of the hybrid solution where it gives them a chance to try something a little different without totally blowing it up. Um, so they started doing this in practice earlier this week where Pasternak and Orlov have basically become interchangeable. And as Montgomery explains it, the idea is that Pasternak's going to start every power play. So you obviously, usually if the Marshan Bergeron DeBrusque line was the line that draws the power play, then, you know, the second unit starts, that means Pasternak sits with, Marshan Bergeron and DeBrusque. Well, Pasternak wasn't out just out there on the ice because he's not on that line. So, you know, Montgomery now wants to get Pasternak out with the, you know, he's calling it the check unit now with Krejci, Zaka, obviously his usual line mates. Um, and then Orlov gets a shift on, you know, what is, I guess, the de facto top unit. But I feel like that's almost switching now where it's like, Really, the top unit is whichever one Pasternak is on, and that's going to be the one that starts unless Pasternak's exhausted. So I do find that, you know, a little interesting because it's like it's really only one switch. It's one player, you know, Pasternak for Orlov, but it almost completely changes which one's the top unit. So um, it, it can work. Like, it can be beneficial because that – that whole top unit has really been struggling for a while now. So, you know, you, you can kind of do this where it's like, you're not telling those guys, Hey, we're demoting you to the second unit, but at times it in practice might like, that might be what happens is that Bergeron, Marchand, DeBrusque, Lindholm unit ends up being like the second unit. Like they might be the ones who, only get, you know, 45 seconds on a two-minute power play or something, which I don't think is the worst thing in the world because there have definitely been stretches where that second unit has looked better. So, and and they're the ones who scored tonight. Yeah, and maybe it creates that kind of competition and that, like, extra added chip to maybe help that Bergeron, Marshawn, DeBrusque unit try to regain their normal top, spot um to answer your question the the obvious answer brian is that they of course would like to be uh at a point where they're 
power play isn't so jumbled up uh, heading into the playoffs with seven games left in the season. Um, they would have liked to have solved some of the problems already that um, they have been trying to work out. And Montgomery said that uh, it was he, – he liked the effort um, on the power play tonight. I think that Pavel Zaka is a very underrated player on the power play. Um in general, I feel like he's not talked about a lot and that he's a good penalty killer. Um, and he has sparked the power play. He's the one who sets up that Bertuzzi power play goal with a really like quick turn and using his legs. He's he's fast. You know, he has that dangerous shot and he's also a good playmaker. So um, to just give him credit and in, in his what he brings to the power play, um, you saw it on display today. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I mean, don't look now, but I would say for... The last little stretch here, Zaka's been better in the bumper spot than Patrice Bergeron has. Like, yeah, he has. And I would like, you know, you're not really allowed to say that. You're not allowed to be, to even remotely criticize Patrice Bergeron. And he's obviously been it's great in the bumper. Yeah, like he's obviously been great in the bumper throughout his career. But for for a little bit now, I think Zaka's been a lot more active and has made more things happen from that spot. Well, I mean, to that point, like, Scott, when we were talking last episode about just some of the power play struggles and personnel changes or potential changes, I was gonna I was gonna go to this place and I just didn't. And but now that you kind of open the door a little bit, like uh, there's no doubt in my mind that Bergeron and Marshand are two of the best players on the team, obviously. But I guess my question to you guys is like this team is inc- is incredibly deep and it's not an insult to anybody to, to ask the question, like, like right now as it stands, is, is Martian or Martian and Bergeron, like, are, are they, have they done enough in the last third of the season, Scott, on a power play to, to, to warrant that they are the obvious first guys over the boards when a power play starts? Like, like could, could they be on a, on a second unit? Like, I don't know. I just watch and I, and I, and I know there's probably people, you know, ripping their, their headphones out of their ears right now listening to this, but it's, you gotta, you gotta ask yourself the question, like, is, cause what you just talked about with Zaka and the bumper is true. I also feel like Zaka has been better on zone entries and most, most power play forwards have been for quite some time. Um, I think he's, he's quick. He's got, he's got good long strides. I just feel like, I feel like when Marshan is in on the power play and he's in, and he's on the, he's on, he's on the boards because he is so limited in the zone where he's supposed to go goal line, blue line circle, whatever. Like I just feel like people close on him because he's, he doesn't have the room to utilize the whole, the whole, the whole zone. And because he's not the biggest guy, I just feel like defensemen and penalty killers with longer sticks. They just, they cave on him, And you just, you see Marshan just kind of like, he, it looks like he's stick handling in a phone booth because he just, he just runs out of room. Whereas on five on five, and even four, five on four, he 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 uses the whole ice. But when for some reason on the penalty, on the power play, it, it, he just seems really small. 
when he when he usually plays really big for his stature. And and so I guess what I'm asking you guys is like, is it really is it is it blasphemy to 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 say like, well, could you have a first unit with McAvoy and Pasternak and Bertuzzi and Zaka and Krejci? Like, what's so what's so bad about what? Why is that so you know uh, crazy to say? It's not like. It's not like Bergeron and Martian have been lighting it up on the pile play this year. So I'm going to ask the question now that we're going into the playoffs. And it's not damning the players. They can still get their their 45 seconds on the second unit and keep them fresh for five on five. I mean, if the, if a guy's going, put him out there. But right now, like if Martian's get if Martian scores a hat trick in a game and he's you can just tell he's feeling it and he can do whatever he wants, put him out there. But right now they're kind of fighting it. So I just I don't know if you should really force it. And I think with these new look units, you're kind of seeing them maybe starting to acknowledge, maybe go for some even looks here on on both units. Yeah. I I don't think it's blasphemous at all. And I think, you know, kind of to what I was talking about, like it's why it's such a sort of savvy move. What Montgomery and John Gruden have done here with this little, you know, Parsonak flip. Oh, we just, you know, we want him to start every power play. Well, the, effect of what that does is you know if the unit he's starting with is Krejci, Zaka, Bertuzzi, and McAvoy well that that unit's gonna get the bulk of the power play time like that you know it's not like they're gonna be like okay everyone else change off at 40 seconds we gotta get Bergeron and Marchand like no like if they're in the zone and creating chances then they're gonna stay out there um you know until the minute mark or a little after that so I think, you know, this is sort of a way to give that unit some looks as a potential top unit without directly playing Berger Marchand or announcing to the public that they've been demoted to the second unit. Um, because now you, you can give this some run. You can test it over these, you know, now final seven games, but starting tonight, final eight. And if that the the check unit with that line and Bertuzzi and McAvoy, if they look better down the stretch, then going into the playoffs, you can you can go to Bergeron and Marchand, have an honest conversation, and say, hey, you know, we still trust you guys, we love you, we believe in you to break out of this, but right now this unit's hotter, and they've scored a few goals, and it's the playoffs, and we need to ride the hot hand. And at the end of the day, you know that. They don't, they don't take it all that hard because it's just about what works to, you know, to get the puck in the back of the net. And I do like something else that you said there, Brian, which was, um, it is it really the worst idea to get them a little bit more rest? Like Marshawn has talked about um, maybe overdoing shifts certain games. Bergeron is obviously one of the older guys on the team. I don't think it's a horrible idea at all to give them less time on the power play and let them, you know, use their energy five on five or where we like, like we mentioned already, we're at the point in the season where load management is a thing. Um, and it would never hurt to give those guys a little bit of extra rest. I don't think so. I, I think for a lot of reasons, the identity of those players and, and the team kind of just allows for Montgomery to do those things. And it was smart. It, it is smart what he's tried to do. Um, and you see, once again, the addition of, Bertuzzi and, and why the Bruins targeted him because he can um, try to add a spark. Obviously his luck has been pretty bad um, 
more so than other guys you see how close he's come on other occasions but um yeah no I, I think the power play is you know it's been a concern but not to the point where it's gonna lose you a series like they're still good enough on the power play to uh you know stay stay afloat I will say that going back a few minutes now to something you said Brian which was um that in the first period they end that power play and a few seconds later uh the the goals in the back of the net uh, I honestly thought it was a shorthanded goal but it was like two or three seconds after it ended but Roslovic that was the Roslovic goal that was the one goal that Columbus scored was right after the power play and that's the one thing you can't do is have your momentum diminish after after your power plays they saw that letdown happen uh, once in the game they were able to score a power play goal later um, they're just inconsistent would probably be the best way to describe their power play and that's obviously not ideal but it's not it's still not the end of the world um, they have other ways to score they have other ways to add energy to the game I guess um, so it's not a hundred percent uh negative I guess it's kind of goes back and forth well but I would say you know the one problem like you can say like oh you know just break even on special teams or whatever which by the way they haven't even done that over the last third of the season before Thursday night they were a minus three net on special teams over the last 27 games and that was with their penalties penalty kill still remaining very good but the other problem with not scoring on the power play, and I feel like we've seen this a little bit more recently, either intentionally or, I don't know, maybe subconsciously or something, but if you can't score on the power play, teams are going to be more physical with you and aren't going to be, um, like, like aren't going to be as worried about crossing the line and taking a penalty because they know, like, yeah, well, Bruins don't score in the power play, so whatever. We'll kill the two minutes. And but I feel like their power play has such high potential, you still wouldn't want to fuck with that. I don't know. I mean, second worst power play over the last two months in the league. Like, I, I don't think I, know, I don't really think they're scaring too many teams right now, not the way they've been playing. They're I mean, they're cold, but they still have so much talent out there on the power play that have been able to do it in the past. Like Marshawn and Bergeron are guys that could wake up on the power play at any given time. So I don't think you want to take a penalty against the Bruins uh, just because you think, you know, oh, they're, they're kind of in a slump. I don't think this, I don't think it's going to last forever that Bergeron and Marshawn can't find a way to click even DeBrusque too. DeBrusque has been a really good power play guy in the past as well. I think <laughs> I wouldn't want to mess around with it either. I, I understand what you're saying, um, it's less of a risk when you see them not being able to put you away on the power play. Um, discipline maybe isn't as much of an emphasis, but I just feel like they're quiet right now, but you don't want to mess with it. So I think we're all in agreement that we're just going to throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks with the power play and, and not be afraid of uh, hurting feelings and whatnot. It just, it's just, it's the way that it is. I mean, I think, I think in particular in the power play, like with zone entries, I just feel like, and not that Krejci is, but Bergeron, you know, his game is in speed right now. It's like, you know, if, if he wants to draw and they can set up in the ozone, 
you know, he's great where he is in the bumper and stuff like that and, and, and whatnot. But when, when, when the puck goes down 200 feet and you got to rely on Bergeron on zone entries and Marshan, who, like I said, he gets close in on quickly and tends to do too much of the blue line. Like, I don't know. I just feel like these guys, it's just, I'm not saying not to give them power play time, obviously get them out on the PP. And if there's an extra attacker, they're on the ice every time. I'm just saying maybe look for something different here. It hasn't been working. And you know, it's, they've been, they're hall of fame Bruins. They always will be, they're going to be continue to be out this year. But right now I think that they just need a little bit more speed, a little bit more decision-making and, and conviction in some of the plays out there. Like Bertuzzi, he's making, he, he's making passes with confidence. He was part of a pretty good power play in Detroit with Larkin and Mort Sider and Mason Raymond. And they kind of had some confidence over there. And, um, you know, Zaka's playing with confidence and, and I don't know. I just, I just feel like Bergeron, Marshan and Pasternak on the power play. I feel like they've just, been, they've been together so long on that unit. I feel like opponents are figuring them out. I feel like the players themselves are a little complacent knowing who they're out there with. I just feel like a little mixing the bag up might be good for everybody. Um, before we get to the Bruins clinching the president's trophy, just what that means going forward and, and whatnot and historical implications of winning the president's trophy and whatnot. Were there other takeaways from the, from the game against the blue jackets that you guys wanted to, to touch on? Well, I feel like we haven't really touched on the defenseman at all. Um, and obviously some defensive rotation as well. Girls like out of the lineup, Zaboral Clifton, um, was a pair that didn't get all that much ice time they I mean, they're not a, a pair that gets a lot of special teams time. Um, and I don't know. I just figured, well, first of all, McAvoy, when he blocked that shot, it was, you hold your breath for a second. You see him go back to the bench and kind of shake it off. So, um, but you see Forbert earlier, you know, a, a while ago, take a, a shot and now he's out for a while. So uh, every time you see a guy, especially McAvoy block a shot, you and, and kind of hobble off the ice, you get a little bit nervous. Obviously he comes back. He's okay. But um, other than that, maybe just thoughts on the Zaboral clifton pair um, and where the Bruins are at with their rotation. I mean, I thought Zaboral and Clifton were better tonight than their previous game together when, quite frankly, they were like pretty close to disaster. Um, but they're facing Columbus, so they should look better. So, you know, I still... I don't think it's a pairing you'd really want to have to use in the playoffs, but for now, yeah, you want to give them at least a few games together and see what they can do because it might have to be an option at some point. Like as of right now, Zaboral, it seems is still their eighth defenseman, right? They haven't, you know, they haven't called up a Mike Riley or anyone from Providence. They haven't signed Mason Laura yet. I, kind of thought that would have already been done. So, you know, we'll see if it maybe gets done Friday or sometime in the next, next couple of days. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Zaboral has to play and you have to put him in spots where he might actually play in the playoffs, right? Like you're not going to throw him out there on a pairing with like Charlie McAvoy. Like that's, they're never going to play together in playoffs. So it has to be with someone like Clifton. Um, so yeah, I thought you know at least it would, Thursday night was at least a step forward from where they had been, and 
you know, we'll probably see them have a few more games together down the, you know, over these last two weeks or whatever. I mean, they still weren't great. Uh, And I did, I did, I did notice the world did take a shift, at least one shift with Carlo at one point. I, I, I don't know if that was just to kind of get McAvoy a little bit more rest. I think it happened some point right after the block shot that I was talking about. But Brian, your impressions of that—that's Zaboral Clifton pair. Well, I just don't think very highly of Zaboral's game. Um, haven't really for some time. I think he's okay at best, um, but I think he's, in my eyes, nothing more than just a depth defenseman for this team. Um, could be could he be a number six somewhere else like Arizona? Sure, but in Boston, I I just don't really see it with him. Um, don't forget he was drafted and you know eight years ago now. So, um, and he yeah. obviously fell further down the depth chart when Orloff was outed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I'm more so. I'm I'm more so uh, a curious um, about a defenseman that, to my knowledge, is is. Uh, still isn't a pro because I think because Scott and I were talking about Mason Lorai after Ohio State season ended and just the possibility of potentially him surpassing Zaboral in the depth chart this year because I don't think it would take much for that to happen necessarily but the biggest thing that would have to happen is him being signed which again to my knowledge has not happened so I'm curious if um not to bypass the defensive work done in this game I guess before we go to Lorai I'll one of, one of my takeaways from the Bruins defense tonight, I, I was happy to see Brandon Carlo set up for himself. Um, I just feel like, I feel like Brandon Carlo has really um, stepped up in a, in a leadership role. He seems more confident in, in, in his abilities. Um, you know, last, last season was, there was some tough sledding for him at times and he just seemed like he was really battling confidence and, and he wasn't playing to the ceiling that he had previously set for himself in years prior. And I feel like this year he's just really, um, he's like the prototypical, just young veteran out there. Um, very confident in his abilities, very, very confident in his role on the team as a leader on and off the ice. And I just wanted to comment on that. Cause you know, he, he got hit, he got boarded by Jenner and you guys talked about that earlier, but um, yeah, I, 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 I enjoyed seeing him do that. And, He's really he's really um, embraced his, his role as a shutdown defender and and trying to be a, a really difficult guy to play against on the penalty kill. So I wanted to comment on that. Um, but outside of that, I didn't really have too many comments on the Zaboral Clifton pairing just because I don't really think it's anything to look forward to unless somebody were to get hurt. And if that's the case, then hopefully Zaboral just doesn't screw up too badly out there. Yeah, I mean the the Lori angle like. It's interesting. Like I said, I I kind of thought it would have happened by now. Um, they still have an open spot on, you know, so you're allowed to have like 50 contracts that can, for players that like could play in the NHL. And right now the Bruins have 49, so they still have an open spot. They signed Trevor Kuntar out of BC um, to a deal where his – entry-level contract won't kick until next year. So he's not playing games, NHL games this year. He'll go to Providence and he does not use up that last contract spot. So they still have it open and it, you know, it would seem like Laura is the most obvious choice to take it. 
Um, another option would be like signing one of the top college free agents, someone who, you know, they think could potentially play NHL games this year. Like they did with Mark McLaughlin last year, right? They signed him, got him a few NHL games uh, before the playoffs. But I think the guy that they might've done that with uh, just signed with Vancouver and that's Jason Polin, who was the NCAA's leading goal scorer this year for Western Michigan. Um, he's off the board. So there's a couple of, def- you know, a couple of defensemen that I think could interest them, but probably not anyone that would play in the NHL this year at this point. So it seems like that spot is Laura's if, if he signs and, um, you know, that they're obviously run now we're down to seven games left. So it's like, if you were going to give him any, any NHL games, you know, it's got to happen quickly and, you know, or they could be looking at it and say, you know what, if they sign Laura, he's just going to play in the AHL. He's going to be part of their playoff run. And, you know, the next guy called up would be, you know, a Mike Riley or a Jack Sean, someone who already has some NHL experience that they know better. And, you know, maybe they don't, maybe they don't think like Laura is ready, quite ready for that test or to push for that kind of spot on the organizational depth chart just yet. And my thought is that I, he has a say in it as well. Like some kids want to try it another year in college. Um, so you know, that maybe it's him. Maybe he's waiting on making a decision. That's, you know, something that's a possibility. Now, do I think that's the most likely um, reason? No. Um, because if your team's like, hey, we want you right now. First of all, you burn a year of your rookie contract, um, which helps you financially in the longer term. Uh, and you, know, you get you get to start your NHL career. You get to get paid. You're not getting paid in college. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he has much more motivation to want to sign. Uh, it's an interesting thing to think about um, his season over at Ohio State. So I guess it comes down to uh, whether the Bruins think they need him right away and then potentially whether or not he is holding out for whatever reason. Um some some guys you really do want to win with their college team if they think they can. Um, uh, but you do see a lot of guys sign early, um, like Trevor Kuntar. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Uh, just to finish off the uh, the game that was tonight, David Pasternak scored an overtime. 53rd goal of the year. Great pass from Lindholm in transition in the neutral zone, caught Pashnak with speed. He came down, forehand, backhand, or no. Yeah, forehand, backhand yeah. for the finish. And his 53rd goal of the year, so now he's two away from uh, from being the first 55-goal scorer since Kim Neely about 32, three years ago. Um, and in doing so, propelled the Bruins to, as we mentioned up the top, um, President's Trophy win this year, 58 wins, 
they still have seven games to go. So, um, you know, the NHL wet record is still a play two for them. So uh, obviously on this podcast and in the Bruins dressing room and most fans, um, you know, the president's trophy besides home ice throughout doesn't mean anything to us. The, 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 the 63 wins would mean nothing to anybody really. If it doesn't, if it doesn't, if it's not followed up with a, a championship, I think, I think everybody would sacrifice a championship for um, 59 wins. If it means not getting the regular season record, but just your guys' takes on Pasternak continuing uh, to climb the ranks in the goal scoring and, you know, does the president's trophy curse? I know it doesn't, Scott doesn't believe in it. I don't believe in it. Bridget, I don't know if you're a believer, but no. what we can say for sure is that the Bruins have secured home ice for as long as they're in the Seneca playoffs this year. And right now they'd be playing the Penguins, although they're only a point ahead of the Panthers with one game in hand on Florida, I believe. So the Bruins opponent in round one is very much up in the air still. Well, when you think about how good they've been at home, how could you say it's not an advantage for them to have to, you know, have the president's trophy? It's not just in like an honor, but there's all of the all of the things that come with it, which is playing in front of your home crowd. Four regulation losses at home this year. Like, yeah, they're they're much I wouldn't say they're they're much harder to play. I mean, they're they're hard to play regardless, but they're harder to play at home. They want to play in front of their home crowd. And they, I think that they see, do see it as um, an advantage, a noticeable advantage for them. Now they're going to have to be able to use it that way. Um, but it's, it's a bigger deal than just like a, an honor. They said that they didn't really celebrate it too much after the game. And Montgomery also said statistically, he doesn't really believe in the curse uh, of winning the president's trophy. Actually, I think he called it the president's cup a few times. Um, But statistically, I've heard a lot of people call it. I've heard a lot of people call it the president's cup. Something in like golf or something. (laughs) Something from Mario Kart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway statistically still that the team that finishes first has the higher percentage of winning the stanley cup um so no i don't i don't feel like there's really a a true curse um scott if you want to go into it no, no the, there's not it, montgomery's right one seeds do historically win the stanley cup more than any other seed they win more than two seeds, three seeds, et cetera. Um, and before this most, so it's been 10 years since a president's trophy winner has won the cup. That was the 2013 Blackhawks who did it in a, you know, lockout shortened year and beat the Bruins in the cup final before this stretch of 10 years without it happening. The president's trophy winner had won the Stanley cup in eight of the previous 26 seasons. So like, a little over a third of the time. I mean, that's like, that's a pretty good ratio. So, you know, did something suddenly flip where like, you know, right after the Blackhawks won, it got cursed. No, like it's and Jim Montgomery, by the way, like Montgomery was asked, you know, will you look at what some, some of the recent president's trophy winners and like, look at what went wrong. And he said like, yeah, they will, but, then, as you said, like said he, he doesn't really believe in the curse, but still they they will look at some of those lessons. And 
you know, obviously like the one people go to the most will be the 2018, 19 lightning. And Hey, you know who was on the team that beat them? Nick Felino. So he can probably offer like some pretty solid insight into, you know, what that lightning team was missing. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think it's an issue. Yes. You obviously would, you obviously want home ice, especially if you're talking about, you know, a potential conference final against the hurricanes. Like, saw how important home ice was in that series last year. I yes, feel like an... it could have made the difference in last year. Like home ice yeah. would have probably made the difference in that series. Yeah, definitely could have. And like, obviously a new year, new teams, but nonetheless, like that's a series where you're going to want to have home ice if it gets to that. Yeah. And Allmark has played so well at home. Like, I, I don't know. There, it all. It just feels like the Bruins have had such a unique season as well that they wouldn't really fall under that cursed category. They have um, outperformed teams in the conference by a wider margin than past Presidents Trophy winners. Um, it just seems like it's hard to compare them, this team, to some of the other teams in the past. They're they're a bit different. Um, they're doing things teams haven't done. So. I mean, we just listed like 20 reasons why we don't think that that's a thing. Yeah, I mean, President's Trophy or not, this Bruins team to me is just, they're just so, so deep at every position. They're very talented. It's, uh, I could, you know, I, no, I'm, there's no curse. <laughs> I mean, as Scott pointed out, I mean, were people talking about there being a curse back in the, late 90s, early 2000s, when it was the Avalanche and the Devils and the Red Wings seemingly winning it every year. And when it, no, um, it's not an issue for me. But, you know, what I did ask, what I did mention, though, about not knowing who their wildcard opponent is going to be, that is of interest to me. Because I think that there are much different possible uh, rounds to be had, depending on who you're playing. Like, I think I, I, I just feel like if you're playing the Panthers, it might be a little bit more physical than if you play Pittsburgh. I feel like Pittsburgh is – I don't think either team is great defensively, but I do think – that and actually, you know, the Panthers, they got they got reamed out by, by, uh, by their head coach, Paul Maurice. And if you are good at lip reading, he, he said something along the lines of – and I'm being uh, – PG 13 here. Cause it was a lot more than he said, but basically he said they were playing like a bunch of bitches and, um, you still just, you, you didn't really censor it that much. <laughs> what's that? What's that? What? You didn't censor it that much. You like, no, well, I, 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 to a lesser sword. No, I certainly, I certainly kept a lot out. Believe me. <laughs> um, I can promise you a lot more was said than that on the bench, but my point is, um, Keith Kachuk, who has two kids in the league, he came out in uh, on TSN, I believe, in Canada, and he publicly criticized uh, the softness of the Panthers. Their coach went viral for you know questioning their their work ethic and their engagement level, and I think that's honestly kind of a dangerous thing when you're talking about a team that has talent and there is some pride in that team with some certain players. And I just feel like I don't know. I feel like I feel like they'd get up for a first round matchup against Boston and try to play the role of the underdog and everybody counted us out and stuff like that. Whereas Pittsburgh, I just feel like they're over the, like they're, their day is done. Like, I don't think they're great defensively. I think they're older in certain areas. I, I just, I don't think they're very tough to play against. I know they have Crosby and Malkin. Uh, and then, you know, beneath those two teams is, 
is I think the Senators maybe. Um, but I guess my point is there's there's some unknowns as to who the Bruins are playing in the first round, regardless of the Bruins positioning. I don't think the Bru- I don't think anybody is fearful that the Bruins would lose that first round. I'm just saying stylistically, we don't really know what that first round is going to look like for Boston just yet. Yeah, you know, I've said a bunch of times and I still feel the same way. Like, to me, the only one that would concern me at all would be the Islanders just because of Ilya Sorokin. But if they just stay in the seventh spot, then you don't get them. I think I would agree with you. Like, I'd probably rather face Pittsburgh than Florida. Although, you know, I do put some stock in winning pedigree. Like, I, I think even though it's now been a few years since they've done it, you know, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, like they're guys who kind of like the Bruins core. No, they only have, you know, a certain number of potential runs left in their career. So like, I think that also potentially adds some, some desperation with that, you know, could be dangerous from guys who have won a lot of playoff series, won multiple cups, you know, know what it takes to go on a deep run. Um, but yeah, the, the physical aspect of Florida and specifically of Matthew, you know, Matthew Kachuk and Ratko Gudis, like those are two guys who who can do some damage at, you know, Kachuk on the four check in the offensive zone and Gudis defensively on your forwards. Um, so yeah, like that's, you know, probably wouldn't be pleasant, but even with Florida, you know, getting like this call out and this wake up call and whatever. I like, maybe that does light a fire in them, but I just don't think they're, you know, a very good all around team. Like, I I think that defense is going to always be very questionable and it ultimately wouldn't worry me, but it is, it could be one of those series like Washington a couple of years ago where you come out of it, you know, more banged up than you'd like. Yeah, it's kind of that war of attrition that we've talked about. Where, And also, those teams that can be more physical oftentimes do have more success in the playoffs than a team that gets that has been getting by on pure skill. And it, I don't know, the playoffs just seem to favor certain matchups and certain teams. Um, and yeah, I think that the Senators are right behind them, Brian, but I feel like they're it's, it's an uphill battle for them to, to finish in that eighth spot. I also think it's interesting that with the playoff picture, a lot of the teams have clinched in the East, but just Vegas has clinched in the West so far, um, which just kind of tells you how m- they're more bunched up um, from top to bottom. And that's going to be a battle to the end out in the West because Calgary's right there um, with, with Winnipeg and Nashville. And, um, and that is going to, probably that conference is going to have maybe more interesting games as we hit the final stretch here, because there's more to play for than, and it's something that several Bruins were asked after tonight's game, which is like, do you now have anything left to play for? <laughs> Cause you, you know, your first place is this when things kind of like, you just kind of start resting guys. And, um, you know, obviously their answer was that they don't want to have any let up at all. But when you really think of it, some of these teams in the East have less to play for now that they kind of see their seating, whereas in the West, it's a lot of different spots are up for grabs there. Yeah, yeah, it's the Wild West out there, as they say. You know, I, I will say one thing, one good thing about playing Florida, though, now that I think about it, is I believe 
if the Bruins were to play the Panthers, it would be the first playoff series in NHL history where the, the higher seed was the home team for all seven games potentially. Because there wouldn't be one Panthers fan down in Sunrise. It would be all Bruins fans <laughs> and occupying those seats. So home, home ice advantage would be at sure. both. You know what? That is a good point that I hadn't thought of. Like Pittsburgh's fans are um, much more dedicated to that. that the, they, the, exist. they exist. They exist, yeah. yeah. Um, and they have more belief, I think, Um yeah, you're right about that. The Bruins have had a, a decent showing throughout the play. Correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Carolina not selling, trying to not sell tickets to fans besides Canes fans? Like they were really trying to make it difficult for any Bruins fans to get tickets and and you know in their playoff run in general. I, I'll, maybe Scott knows the answer to that. I also remember like didn't Tampa Bay not allow visiting jerseys in their rink? During yeah. the playoffs last year, yeah, like there's been be legal. I feel like that's not like not yeah. Legal. That's why everybody was like up in arms about it. It's like somebody paid for those seats. You're gonna tell them to put on a different jersey or different... yeah. That there's, there's been like a country. few teams. There's been a few teams that have done stuff like that now. You know, or like don't sell tickets to fans out of state or whatever. Which it seems desperate, but, and it seems yeah. like it, it seems kind of sad. Honestly, I dislike it. Um, I feel like Toronto maybe did that at some point. I I don't know. It's just to me, it seems like you need all the help you can get, which is kind of a bad message. Um, as someone who used to live in North Carolina, <laughs> uh, I guess you know if it were back then, I could have gotten tickets if I wanted to. But it's just so dumb. I I, I dislike it. As someone who lived half the year in North Carolina and half the year here. Yeah, and not selling to fans out of state wouldn't even help the Panthers because there's already plenty of Bruins fans in Florida. So, um, yeah, Uh, since we're talking about, you know, potential first-round opponents, obviously one's coming up on Saturday in Pittsburgh. And I do find it a little bit interesting that Montgomery picked – now he so he mentioned he might do this where he starts he, he said he would do it with both goalies like start them back-to-back games at some point um just to sort of simulate you know at least getting two starts in a row in the playoffs which is you know neither goalie has had two starts in a row for a while so i find it a little interesting that he picks tonight to give Allmark a second start in a row because that kind of tells me that now you're probably gonna see swayman saturday and my mind sort of goes to, okay, well, if you if you do face Pittsburgh in the first round, they've already basically said they've decided Allmark's starting game one, so you don't show them Allmark yet, right? Like, you don't let them have that look at him. Um, I don't know if that's really their thinking. They probably wouldn't acknowledge that, even if it was, but I did find that interesting. That is kind of a, you know, little added benefit of, giving Allmark two in a row now. And then if you go Swayman Saturday, you're not letting Pittsburgh, you know, it could go both ways, right? If, if Allmark shuts him down, then they go into game one against him thinking like, oh crap, you know, this guy just shut us out two weeks ago. Or, you know, if God forbid Allmark has an off game, like you, you just don't want to give, you know, a potential first round opponent that little bit of confidence. Maybe I'm overthinking that. Like, I don't know if they're even considering all that, but. No, they are. It, I feel yeah, like they are. It did, it did cross my mind. Coaches, 
from the coaches I've talked to in college hockey, like they keep the goalie stuff close to the vest and they, they do play those chess games um, a lot, especially coaches that have two guys that they're trying to surprise you with. And they're, they're trying to like keep it close to the chest. I, I think it absolutely could be part of the reason why I, I do think that there's more benefit to, to kind of hiding him from a potential first round playoff opponent than there is uh you know upside to maybe having him get a shutout like maybe he won't <laughs> you know um I, I like the move honestly if that's what they do all right guys uh, i think we're approaching an hour here so if there's anything else you wanted to go over now is the time if not we'll probably sign off for this episode so do you guys have anything else to cover speak now or forever hold your peace a uh, little fun fact, just to point out, so it was Red Sox day. It was warmer at Fenway Park for the Winter Classic than it was for the Red Sox opening day. <laughs> that sounds honestly not super surprising for New England. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the yeah. one. It was 60 degrees yesterday, and today it was like 30, so I don't know. And, I don't even, it's all worse than what I was dealing with this week in the Bahamas, so... <laughs> Does spring even exist in, in New England anymore? I feel like it just goes from winter to summer. Like, yeah. what, what, is, what is what is March and April? If it's just – it goes from cold weather in January, February, maybe a little snow here and there, to just cold weather and damp rain for March and April. And then maybe in May you start to get out of it a little bit, but there's no real spring anymore. It's kind of a bummer because spring was my favorite season, but you're right, May is kind of like – a short window of spring. I love May. I love June as well. But at least the at least the uh, at least the clocks went ahead. So now we have more daylight. That's that's nice. Mm-hmm. But and and May and June means playoff hockey. So hopefully, <laughs> so that's also why it's 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 a good time of year. I mean, hopefully the Celtics are still playing at that point in time. You got Red Sox. The weather's nicer. You can go. You got you know potentially the Bruins making a run into June. So it's, it's a good time of year. We're, we're coming up on it. And that's why I don't feel so bad that I left the warm beach. I decided to come back um, <laughs> for the rest of the season um, and try, I'll try not to be dramatic about how much colder it is here after being in the nice weather. Yeah, Brid- Bridget, you left out BU in the Frozen Four, obviously. Oh, um, yeah. Another... Oh, oh, are you going to be really annoying if they win? Or are you going to be more annoying yes. if they lose? But like, will you be more annoying if they lose? Uh, no, I'll be more because honestly, like at this point, I get for whatever way makes you less annoying to deal. No, I, I mean Minnesota is definitely the favorite, so like I'm not, I'm not gonna be too heartbroken if they lose. Um, It's no matter what, it's been a great first year for Jay Pandolfo as head coach. But yeah, if if they win and they beat a loaded say loaded Minnesota and Michigan teams in the frozen four. Like, yeah, I, I will be very annoying about it. I, I thought about going, I thought about going down to Tampa for the frozen four. So, but it's, it's just, I already took my vacation, so it doesn't fall in a good time if you're a Bruins reporter, but yeah, I'm like, I, I'm, uh, I'm employed by hockey East. So I think that means I'm contractually obligated to root for BU. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, Scott might not be annoying if, uh, if BU loses, but he was outside the, uh, the Hobie Baker, um, 
voters headquarters today with a torch and pickforks about uh, <laughs> not being uh, a, a finalist. Yes, he was. Yeah, very stupid. I, I don't think anyone really cares, but Matthew Nyes gets into the Hobie hat trick somehow, even though he's a forward who's outside the top 20 nationally in points per game. And Lane Hudson, a defenseman who is sixth, doesn't make it. Who is and there, there are other options. Yeah, MVP but of the yeah, hockey it's... tournament. And... This Scott, has been an issue with Hobie. Scott, you're breaking up. It's been an issue with Hobie voting for a while because like so many Hobie voters are out in Minnesota. So like if you play in Minnesota, you you have like a built-in advantage. Yeah, I mean Minnesota's always had a a bias with uh with college hockey purists. Can can you get a vote? Can you can, is there a way for Scott to get involved in this in this voting process? I should have one. Yeah, I want one too. <laughs> All right. Well, I vote that we sign off for this episode and <laughs> get some shut eye. It's getting a little yeah. late. And, uh, and, and William, we thank you all for listening. And the Bruins, the Bruins next play this weekend. And we've talked about it before, another weekend back to back. They have the Penguins on Saturday, as Scott mentioned. And then on Sunday, they have the, I just had Blues. it up, St. Louis. Okay. And that one's in St. Louis because the Blues are here earlier this year. So, um, enjoy, enjoy the, um, the Bruins this weekend. Enjoy, hopefully, um, well, I think the weather's going to be pretty crappy. So, um, if there's nice weather where you are, enjoy it. And, um, and thanks for listening. We'll talk to you all very soon. Mm-hmm.